Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. Thank you so much for stopping by. I'm Pastor Carl McLaughlin from Calvary Pentecostal Church in Euless, Texas. We're located in Dallas-Fort Worth, where 8 million call DFW home. Whether you're tuning in to Sunday or Wednesday's message, we pray that you will find words of encouragement. It is our mission to provide a positive and encouraging voice in the midst of uncertainty. I pray that you will be blessed by today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Upper Room Podcast. We are so happy you're here. Today, we're going to hear from Brother David Cad. Him and his wife, Ashley, are currently missionaries to Madagascar and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. If you would like to give to missions, visit our website at calvaryulis.org. That's calvaryulis.org. We hope you enjoy this message today entitled, Wounded But Victorious. We hope you enjoy. Come here today to encourage you. To encourage you, because we live in a world that is filled with so much negativity and with so much bad news and with so many bad reports. It's everywhere. It's on the radio. It's on the billboards. It's what people are talking about. Uh, We are totally immersed now in a culture that is filled with nothing but bad news. And if we are not careful, we will eventually begin to succumb to that and forget that we have an entire book chock full of good news, that we have an entire book filled of promises, that we have a lot to shout about, that we still have a lot to dance about, that we still have a lot to thank God about. I have news for you today. It doesn't matter what the people outside are saying. It doesn't matter what a politician is saying. It doesn't matter what a lawyer is saying. It doesn't matter what a doctor is declaring. Let me tell you this one assured fact. The apostolic church is not sinking. We're not retreating. We're not losing ground. We are still taking territory. We are still seeing miracles, signs, and wonders. The church is stronger now than it has ever been in any point in its history. The church is growing faster now than at any point in its history. The apostolic church is still in this fight. We're still winning this thing. We're not backing down. We're not backing up. We're not retreating. We are still victorious. In the year 2020, The church in Madagascar experienced for probably the first time in what could have been decades a true crisis of proportions that we had never encountered before. In the year 2020, Madagascar was not only subjected to the uh, punishing blows of COVID-19, but we also had bubonic plague ravaging the island, malaria breaking out up and down the coastlines, a good old-fashioned proper famine moving through the farm farmlands. And on top of that, the government had imposed what was basically martial law. So the church in Madagascar in the year 2020 was dealing with a hammer blow of uh, opposition and a hammer blow of, of problems that all just descended upon us all at once within, within uh, probably a, a month time frame, everything just seemed to collapse around us as 
the government was on the very brink of anarchy and we were, we were dealing with everything that was going on physically and then not to mention all the spiritual ramifications of all that was sweeping across the globe in that year and we were, we were grappling with what to do and we were trying to figure out uh, what can we do and let me tell you this there's an important rule that we have to follow if you're going to be in the church and it's very simple and that is that the church can never stop moving forward uh, at no point ever can the church just decide to, uh, to take a break or, or, or just, just stop and pull over for a little bit let me tell you this, the devil did not take the year 2020 off. The world did not take the year 2020 off. Uh, we all lived it. We all saw it. It was all in full swing and full operation. And so the church also could not take the year 2020 off. We had to keep moving forward. And I know we get excited and we say amen and we hoop and holler about that. But there's a very practical element here that we have to uh, come to grips with. Uh, we, we had lost access to preaching, we had lost access to teaching, we could not sing, we could not dance, we could not meet, uh, we couldn't do anything. We had every weapon in our arsenal uh, stripped away, save one. We had, we had one thing left that we could still fight with, we had one, one arrow left in our quiver that we could still shoot out onto that battlefield. We had one option remaining. Uh, just just one simple little thing, and it was amazing because that year was our 50th anniversary, and we had we had everything planned. We had the whole parade, we had the great feast prepared, and we had all the the great dignitaries from the United States lined up, the best orators, the best speakers. We had we had this fantastic display prepared for our 50th anniversary and we were we were preparing to celebrate in style and it was amazing that God in just one single moment just with his mighty hand just took all of that all of that uh, uh, showcase, all of those trophies, and he just took them and he just threw them in the garbage can in one moment and said, for your 50th anniversary, the way you're going to celebrate is by the way the first church began. You're going to celebrate 50 years the same way they celebrated day one of the church. And it's quite simple what you're going to do for your 50th anniversary. There's not going to be a parade. There's not going to be a feast. There's not going to be dignitaries. There's not going to be speeches. There's not going to be a slideshow presentation. We're not going to give honors. We're not, going to, we're not going to do any of those things. For our 50th anniversary, the entire church is going to get on their knees every single night at 7 o'clock. And we're just going to humble ourselves and pray that God will heal the land. For your 50th anniversary, we're going to go back to the fundamentals we're going to go back to day one, to that upper room when they were gathered together, unified in prayer. For our 50th anniversary, we decided that although we could not preach, we could not teach, we could not sing, and we could not dance, but this one thing we could still do, this one weapon we could still throw into the fight, the church decided that at every night at 7 o'clock, what we were simply going to do was get on our knees no matter what the circumstances were, and we were simply going to begin to pray. Let me tell you this. If the world has knocked you to your knees, if the devil has knocked you to your knees, you might as well pray 
while you're down there. You might as well just go ahead and lift up your hands and say, you know what, the world has kicked me to my knees, but I'm already on my knees. And on my knees is my most powerful and deadly position. I'm already on my knees. Yes, things did not go well for you. Things may have gone wrong for you. The world may not may have knocked you to your knees. But you know what? While you're down there, while you're sitting there on your knees, not sure what to do next, go ahead and just lift up your hands. You're already on your knees. You might as well start praying. It's your most powerful position, your most deadly position. It's the one thing that you can do and the thing that you can do best on your knees is pray. It took the spirit of fear right out of the heart of every pastor. Completely changed the entire work. Our pastors made up in their mind that although church was banned on Sunday, the president did not mention anything about the other six days of the week. It helps to be a smart aleck sometimes. You'd be amazed. God can use a smart aleck too. And an entire nation grinned from ear to ear when the president gave his address. Because that affected everyone negatively except us. The reason it did not affect the apostolic church is the apostolic understands a very simple revelation that is held in the book of Acts. And that revelation is this, the church has never been a building, but the church has always been a people. And when you understand that revelation, you also understand that you can never really cancel church. All you have managed to do is relocate it. Because we can have church in a parking lot, we can have church in the street, we can have church in a marketplace, we can have church in a living room. We can have church in the kitchen, in the front yard, in the backyard. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst of them. He did not say it required a building. He did not say it required a certain venue. He did not say it required this or that. And I'm not preaching against those things. I love those things. But those things are not ultimately at the end of the day what determines whether or not we are having church. And so the pastors all across that island made up in their mind that as I go about my day, as I go to the marketplace and as I go to home, what I'm going to do is go house to house, door by door. There may be three saints in this house. I'll stop here for five minutes and lay hands on them. There may be six saints in this house. We're going to sing a hymnal of praise. We're going to go over here to this, this saint's house and just fellowship a little bit. We're going to do whatever we can, however we can. Because the church cannot stop moving. We, it does not matter. If you cannot run, if you cannot run, then walk. And if you cannot walk then crawl. Whatever you have to do, whatever it takes, you have to keep moving forward. If it's just an inch at a time, take the inch. Fight for the inch. If it's just one soul at a time, fight for the one soul. If it's just one miracle at a time, fight for the one miracle at a time. Sometime you will fish with nets. Sometimes you will fish with just a line. 
You can only catch one fish with a line. But sometimes that's all you've got. Sometimes that's all that's available. And if that's all you got, you just keep casting. You keep throwing it in there. You keep throwing it in there until you get something. And you pull that one in and then you, you, you throw it back in. We don't always get the luxury of, of fishing with nets. We, we enjoy fishing with nets. That's exciting. That, 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 we love it when 15, 20, 30 people get the Holy Ghost in one fell swoop. We shout an amen. But you know what? What we've also got to remember is that sometimes that's not available. Sometimes it's just a little old fishing pole that I, all I have is just going to throw that fishing pole in that pond. But hey, that's worth fighting for too. That's worth shouting about too. If it's just one person, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. Come on now. If heaven is willing to shout for it, so should we. If heaven is willing to rejoice over one sinner, so should we. It was inevitable. Our saints being the whole church on their own. The ministers couldn't make it to every house all the time. And the saints would begin to gather together on their own, worshiping God, singing praises, reading scripture, just doing everything that they could do in the moment. Again, it wasn't normal church. It wasn't the normal, you know, the normal program that we all enjoy and love. It wasn't anything like that. It was just an old hymnal book from the 1950s, and they would just, they would just sing, and, and they would just praise God, and they would just do whatever they could to keep something going. They would just, just some little fire still burning, and it was inevitable that neighbors next door would hear what was going on through the windows, and they would come knocking on the doors and they would say hey what's going on in your house and they would say hey we're just spending a little time in the presence of God do you want to come on in let me tell you this in the year 2020 with everything that went wrong with all of the impossibilities that were stacked against us with all the predictions of doom destruction and defeat the apostolic church in the year 2020 in the nation of Madagascar grew by over 14,000 people baptized in Jesus' name, receiving the Holy Ghost. It happened not in a church building. It didn't happen in a general conference. It didn't happen in a Holy Ghost crusade. But it was happening on street corners. It was happening in living rooms. It was happening on the marketplace. People were being baptized in their bathtubs. People were being taken down to the rivers. They were being taken down to the lakes. Anywhere there was water, they would say, Hey, what is here to hinder us from baptizing you? There is water. We will baptize. The church is still open for business. Let us never forget that in the year 2020, let us never forget that the rest of the world, almost every institution, almost every organization, no matter what it was of any stripe, political, scientific, religious, whatever, almost all of them experienced regression, decrease, loss. The one glaring exception to all of that loss and retreat was the apostolic church that walked out of the year 2020 larger than it was in 2019, stronger than it was in 2019. The apostolic church went through plagues, 
We went through famine. We went through disease. We had to deal with spiritual warfare like we had never fought before. We had to deal with government persecution like we had never dealt before. But let me tell you something. We serve a God that has never lost a battle. We serve a king that is forever victorious. I want to encourage you before you step out of these doors. I want you to know without a shadow of a doubt that we are still winning. That we are still taking territory. That we have not lost by any means or any measure. I know sometimes it's going to hurt. And I know sometimes it looks bleary. And I know sometimes it looks dark. But at the end of the day, the church is still triumphant. The church is still pushing ahead. The church is still gaining territory. If there was ever a time to be living for God, it is now. If there was ever a time to be on fire for the King, it is now. If there was ever a time to, to, to press home, it is now. Now is not the time to quit. Now is not the time to grow shallow. Now is not the time to grow cold. The church is having a red-hot apostolic move of God. We are having a revival that we have never seen before. All across the planet, there are reports of people receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost in places that have been dead and dry for years in places where there has never been a move of God. God is moving. If there was ever a time to be on fire for God, it is now. They told me everyone here was long-winded, so I feel okay. <laughs> I better start preaching. Scripture text today, and again, I'm, I'm here to encourage you, but I'm going to take you to a passage of Scripture, and I apologize for not briefing the media team. I will go slow on the Scriptures. The first one is going to be Genesis chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Genesis chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, and this is what it says. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity. Everyone look at your neighbor and say, Conflict. Conflict. I will put conflict between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. You may be seated. You find here in this passage of Scripture, and again, this is probably not an encouraging word that you thought we were going to uh, come from here, but I promise I've learned to push through the confused looks, and uh, I'll get you there. Don't worry. <laughs> this train will arrive, and on time. <laughs> but you see here in this passage of Scripture a courtroom drama, as it were, being played out. You have on one hand over here Adam and Eve representing not just themselves but all of mankind, all of humanity that's going to come after them. Look at your neighbor and say, that means you. 
You have a part to play in this scripture. You, you are included in this. It's Adam and Eve and all of their seed, all of their descendants. If you're a human in this place and it looks like everybody is according to my eyes, that means you're included in this scripture. So you have Adam and Eve over here on trial, but not just standing there alone. You also have over here Satan represented as a snake and all of his ilk and all the deeds and things that he has done and plans to do in the future. So standing here you have two different parties on trial here in the Garden of Eden and God is is preparing to judge everyone and if we're not careful sometimes we can make the assumption that God just kind of did a 50-50 split and kicked everyone out, called it a day and said "All right." We're, we're, we're moving on. It's not exactly how it went down. It wasn't so much a, a, a 50-50 split. God actually in this passage of scripture did in fact show partiality. It, because you've got to understand here that there was one defendant on trial that was a first time offender. And there was another defendant over here that was a repeat offender. The sentences are going to be vastly different. From a first time offender and a repeat offender. It's not going to be the same. It wasn't going to be the same. To understand this you have to look at the very end of chapter, uh, verse 15. And see that in his punishment he prescribed not one bruise but two bruises. One to each party that was on trial was going to be bruised. But there is a subtle difference here. And that is that while both of them were bruised, he did not in fact bruise them in the same spot. The difference is there are different spots for the wound. To understand the significance of what God just did right there in that verse, you have to take a very basic quick look at anatomy. You will not need a PhD or a medical degree of any kind to understand what I'm about to explain to you next. But there is a part on the human body that must be protected at almost every cost. You see, we can live without hands, we can live without legs, we can live without arms, limbs, bones, and even parts of organs. We can continue to still function, we can still continue to live, but there is a part on the body that if we lose it, it's over. There's no coming back from. It's the reason why we wear helmets, it's the reason why when a person is under attack by an animal, if they cannot escape, what do they do? They curl into a ball, doing what? Shielding their head. We instinctively know this as people, that our head has to be protected because we know that a wound there can be fatal, that a wound there can be final, that, that I can take a lot of damage in a whole lot of other places and I can still wake up again tomorrow morning and I can still be breathing, I can still be living. But if I take too much damage here, uh, if, if something goes wrong in the head, that I can be uh, very quickly eliminated, that I can very quickly perish, that, that this has to be protected at all costs. You have to understand and, and, and take that back to the scripture and see the magnitude and the significance of what God just did in that time of judgment to mankind. He took that bruise and he decided that he was going to place it on the human body where? As far away as you can get on a body from a person's head. You cannot get any further from a head than a heel. It is as far away as you can get. 
to mankind as he was ushering them out of the garden that day. He basically gave them the most minimal sentence that he possibly could. He was saying, I can't let you out of here with nothing. I can't let you walk out of here scot-free. You've got to pay the price. You've got to be wounded. You've got to be bruised somewhere. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that wound. I'm going to take that bruise. And I'm going to place it on your head. But what I am going to do is I'm going to place it on your heel. As far away from fatal, as far away from final as I can possibly Make it. And over here, walking across to Satan, he did the exact opposite. Where he said, oh Satan, you vile deceiver. You are the one that has caused these problems in the past. And here you are causing them again. You have no intentions of changing. There is nothing I can do. You have stood here in open rebellion time and time again. To you, I am taking the wound and I am going to place it on your head on the fatal place on the final place on a place where there is no mercy on a place where there is no recovery on a place where you are not going to survive this you're not going to be able to 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 overcome this you're this is permanent this is deadly this is fatal this is a wound to the head But to mankind, he said, I'm going to take the wound that I'm going to give you and I'm going to put it in a place that is going to be temporary. It's going to be overcomable. You're still going to be able to live to fight another day. That you're still going to wake up tomorrow morning, Adam and Eve, and you're going to see the sun rise one more time. And yes, the world is going to be very different for you. Yes, the world is going to be a whole lot crueler. It's going to be a whole lot darker. There's going to be pain and childbearing. Adam, you're going to have to work and you're going to have to work hard. It's not going to be easy like it used to be, Adam and Eve. But what I want you to know is that the wound I have given you is not going to be in a place that's going to kill you. It's not going to be in a place that's going to annihilate you. It's not going to be in a place that's going to destroy destroy you as I usher you out of the garden of Eden he was giving them one final little message of hope as they were facing a very cruel new world I come to you today with a message simply titled wounded but victorious wounded but victorious I do believe firmly that it was that one little message that God was giving to Adam and Eve as he was ushering them out of the garden that day saying hey Adam and Eve I know you messed up and I know you can't come back here and I know there's a cruel new reality that is waiting for you but what I want you to know as you take your first steps into this uncertain world is that yes you have been wounded but you can still in fact be victorious that yes you got hurt somewhere but you know what it's only a wounded heel you were not wounded on the head I did not strike you in the fatal place I did not bruise you in the head but I took the bruise and I placed it on the heel I gave you the most minimal sentence 
that I could possibly give. I ushered you out of here with the bare minimum. I couldn't give you nothing. I couldn't let you walk free. I had to give you something. But because I loved you, because I formed you in my own image, because I breathed life into you, because you're my favored creation, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a wounded heel. You're going to be wounded, Adam and Eve. But you can still keep walking. I find it interesting sometimes when people talk about church hurt. I understand that it can be a real thing. Where people get upset when while living for God, things do not always go as smooth as they would have liked. When you look at this time of judgment that God placed out, you will notice that there are two sides represented. There's humanity, there's Satan in the world. If you look, both sides were bruised. If you thought the bruises in here hurt, you should see what the other guy's getting. Leaving these doors does not make it better. It makes it worse. Because over here, yes, I was bruised. But it's only on the heel. It wasn't fatal. It wasn't final. I can still wake up in the morning, fall on my knees, and there's another batch of mercy from heaven waiting for me. I still have another chance. But if I leave, if I quit walking with God, if I start living for the world, then you know what? I have now sided with this group. And now all of a sudden, the wounds that I'm going to take are not going to be directed at my heel anymore. But now it's going to be fatal. It's going to be final. It's going to hurt a whole lot more. I'm going to have to deal with a bruised head when if I stay over here, if I stay under the covenant, if I stay under the blood, if I stay under mercy, and if I stay under grace, it's only a bruised heel. I can still get up in the morning. I was wounded. But you know what? I can still be victorious. One of the greatest curses put upon Satan, and I'm hurrying. One of the greatest curses put upon Satan was not that he was going to crawl on his belly. It was not that he was going to eat the dust of the earth. One of the greatest curses put upon Satan that day was that Satan was never going to be able to finish the job. Was that Satan had the ability and had demonstrated it that he could start a lot of mess. But God stepped in and said, oh, there's a limitation on what you can do, Satan. There, there's a limitation on what I'm going to allow you to do. You've got to understand that we didn't get the fatal blow. That we didn't get the final blow. That yes, we are going to be wounded. God did not say maybe you would have a bruised heel. He did not say if you were unlucky or, 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 or were born into the wrong neighborhood or the wrong family or, or whatever your life circumstance may be. No, he said you will be bruised on the heel. You can mark it down. You can write it down. It's a 100% biblical guarantee that you at some point in your life are going to be struck on the heel. 
you will be bruised. You will be wounded. But what you've got to understand is that at the end of the day, it's not going to be fatal. It's not going to be fatal. It's not going to be final. If I stay in the house of God, if I stay here and commune with God, if I remain under the blood, you know what? There's going to be another chance. I'm going to be able to rise up again. Yes, there were some issues. Yes, there were some mistakes. But there's still some mercy. There's still a chance. There's still hope. Satan, the greatest curse is that Satan will never be able to finish the job. For the rest of his existence, he is going to reach for your destruction. And for the rest of his existence, God is going to keep you just beyond his fingertips. For the rest of his existence, he will desire to see you destroyed. And every time he reaches his hand forth, God just keeps you right beyond his fingertips saying yes you can reach for them you can you can try I'm not going to stop that but what I am going to stop is your ability to grab them you cannot finish the job you can start a whole lot of problems you can you can cause a whole lot of mess but at the end of the day there's a hardcore limitation in what he can do. This is demonstrated twice in the word of God. The first time we see it plainly is in the book of Job. Where Satan first before he ever could lay a finger on the man. Had to go to God for permission. Because he even he knew even then that there is a limitation on what I can do. That I can't just walk into Job's life and start tearing stuff up. That I can't just willy-nilly take a stroll through his living room and just destroy his life. Before I can do that, I've got to go knock on heaven's door and go get God's permission. Let me tell you this. You've got to understand. There was something my pastor used to say all the time, and it's simply this. That if the devil isn't fighting you, it might be because you're on his side. So you need to understand that if you are facing resistance and if you are facing opposition that means you are on the correct side that means I'm on the right side yes I was bruised but I could still be victorious God did not say maybe he said you would he said it's gonna happen your heels will be bruised you will face opposition you will meet opposition. So you need to understand that whenever it feels like the devil is taking a stroll right through your front door and just causing all sorts of problems, you need to understand that before he ever did that, he first had to go to God for permission. That if God allowed him to do that, you should almost take it as a compliment because that means God trusts me to handle what is knocking on my door. That if the devil is sitting there saying, hey, I'm about to come in that means that God trusts you to handle him God's not going to give you more than you are able he's not going to give you more than you can bear but will with the temptation also make a way to escape so that you can handle it so hey you know what if the devil is having his day you need to say, you know what? That means that God trusts me to be able to handle what is being thrown at me right now. The second thing that went down in that conversation was the limitation that God was placing upon Satan when he said, 
Satan, you can take Job's wealth. You can take his health. You can take his friends. You can take his family. There's a lot that I am going to allow you to take. But this one thing you cannot do. You cannot kill him. You are reaching for his destruction. And I am going to keep him just beyond your fingertips. Yes, you desire to destroy him. That is your ultimate goal. You can take everything else. You can take all the other niceties that he's enjoyed. You can wreck his life. You can make it hard. You can make it difficult. But this one thing you cannot do at the end of the day when you want to see him down in the dirt in a grave, I will not allow that. He will keep you just beyond his fingertips. The second place this is found is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, speaking about the church. And it simply says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. You've got to understand that there's a lot that the devil can start, but he cannot finish a single thing. All throughout this, he can trouble you, but he cannot make you distressed. He can make you perplexed, but he cannot cast you into despair. He can have you persecuted, but he can never have you forsaken. He can have you cast down, but he cannot have you destroyed. There is a limitation on what Satan can do in your life. You need to understand and remember this when you are sitting there in your deepest, darkest valley and your darkest hour of your life and everything is going wrong. You need to understand that at the end of the day, there's still a shot. There's still a chance. At no point ever am I without hope. At no point ever am I just totally cast aside. Yes, things are hurting. Things are going wrong. But you know what? He can never finish the job. He may be able to knock me down, but he cannot keep me down. He may be able to slow me down, but he cannot stop me. He may be able to wound me, but I can still be victorious. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5, and this is Isaiah speaking about Jesus Christ, wrote, Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. So far we have read one word concerning Jesus. Wounded, 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 and wounded, and wounded again. But look how it ends. And it simply says, and with his stripes we are healed. As Isaiah was pinning those words, he was saying, hey, you're going to watch Jesus Christ. You're going to see his back scourged with a whip. You're going to see it busted and torn open and laid bare for the world to see. You're going to see him stagger under the weight of a cross as he marches to Calvary's hill. You're going to see him as the nails are pierced through his, through his arms and through his legs. You're going to see as a crown of thorns is, in, is embedded into his skull. 
You're going to watch as a spear tears open his side. You're going to see him wounded. And you're going to see him wounded and wounded again. But three days later, the Bible records that he busted out of that tomb and walked around town and showed everybody with many infallible proofs that he was in fact very much alive. That yes, you saw me wounded, but I here I am, still victorious. He said, Thomas, take your hand. Feel my side. Feel the holes in my hand, Thomas. Feel the breath in my lungs. I'm not some ghost. I'm not a spirit. I'm not an apparition. You can feel me in the physical. You can feel me in the flesh. You're not imagining this, Thomas. Here I am, Thomas. You saw me wounded. You see my wounds. Here they are, Thomas. But here you also see I'm still working miracles. I'm still working miracles. I'm still changing lives. Yes, I was wounded, Thomas. But here I stand, victorious. God in His infinite grace and wisdom paid the price for us at Calvary knowing that we could not do that. But there is an interesting tidbit, an interesting part to this victorious episode that He has in fact offered us an invitation to participate in. We have an invitation given in Scripture. It is found in Romans chapter 16 verse 20. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. God already did his part. He already bruised Satan. What you need to know is that it's your turn next. That yes, I have a wounded heel. But you know what? There's a snake over there. There's an addiction over there. There's a disease over there. There's a problem over there that is due to be stomped out. There is a snake over there that is due to be bruised. There are two things every apostolic person should have in common. The first thing is a bruised heel. The second thing is the remains of a snake that they stomped out underneath it. That is the two things that we should all have in common. That while, yes, we were wounded, we have an opportunity through Christ to be victorious. Acts 1 and 8 simply says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Let me tell you this. If you have the Holy Ghost and you have been wounded, you can do something about it. You can do something about it. You are not powerless. You have an open invitation from God. God wants you to participate in the victory. He wants you to know what it feels like to walk over there with a wounded foot and say, you know what, devil? You have afflicted me, but now I'm putting you underneath my feet. You have wounded me, but I'm stomping you out. You are due for a bruised head. You see, Satan, you were able to wound me, but I am still victorious.
I have one final story to tell, one final scripture to read, and I will come to a close. There was an American military convoy driving in East Africa. They came under a surprise attack, and at the onset of the engagement, many of the American Humvees were destroyed within seconds. The great vast majority of the soldiers in those convoys were killed outright. The remainders piled out of the burning wreckage of all of their vehicles. The man in charge had been wounded, shot pretty bad. He crawled out and he slumped in the road and leaned up against his Humvee, what was left of it anyways, and began to take an assessment of the situation that was going on around him. He looked and he began to come up with a plan. He called over one of the young privates and this is what he told him. He said, Private, if you look at the end of the convoy, that last Humvee, that last vehicle, you see it, it's still running, it's still working. That one vehicle is all that remains of this convoy. Everything else is up in smoke. Everything else is burning. He said, if we can get that last vehicle, we can get out of here. We have a chance at living if we can get to that vehicle. If we can pile into that thing, we can grab everybody that's here, throw them in this vehicle, and we can get out of here. We still have a chance to live to see the next sunrise if we can just get that one vehicle. He looked at the private and this is what he said. He said, I want you to run down there to the end of that convoy and I want you to grab that last Humvee and drive it up to where we are and we're going to pile in this thing and we're going to get out. And as the, as the commander was sitting there wounded and bleeding, giving the orders to the private, the private responded simply by saying this, but sir... I have also been shot. The commander's reply is what I want to drill into your spirit tonight. He looked at the private and this is what he said. He said this, we've all been shot. Go get the Humvee. I've got news for you tonight. We've all been wounded. Go get the victory. We've all been wounded. We've all been bruised. We've all failed. We've all messed up. We've all done something wrong. But you know what? That doesn't mean we cannot still live victorious through Jesus Christ. There's still a chance. There's still a hope. This isn't fatal. This isn't final. Yes, you've been wounded. But so have we all. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and as the musicians come, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 simply says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. He did not say it was rare. He did not say it was unique. He did not say it was for the unfortunate few. He simply says, it is common to man. The temptation took them. They failed. They messed up. They made a mistake. They were wounded. It's common 
But he also said, but God is faithful. If there was ever a reason to shout every single morning, it is those words. But God is faithful. Yes, the temptation that took them was common, but God is still faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will also, with the temptation, make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. I have come to encourage you tonight and to give you a fresh reminder that we are still winning this thing. That yes, you have been wounded, but you can still be victorious. Yes, you've just got to pick yourself back up. You've just got to keep taking one more step. You've just got to determine in your spirit tonight that no matter what has happened, I can still be victorious. Tonight, I want to encourage you. The altars are open. Before you leave this place, take a moment, take an opportunity, and take your wounds to the altar. What an incredible word today we heard from Brother David Cad. We hope you're encouraged, and we hope you take something away from this podcast. We hope to see you next week for an all-new episode on the Upper Room Podcast. A reminder that every single Tuesday and Friday, we release a brand new episode for you to listen to. Thank you guys so much for supporting the Upper Room Podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at calvaryulis.org or follow us on all of our social media platforms on Facebook and Instagram at Calvary Ulis. We cannot wait to connect with you guys there. God bless.